Amen. You may be. And uh, we uh, love to worship and to sing uh, because of how it melts our hearts. It prepares us for the word, for God's word to us. And we pray that uh, this morning uh, that uh, we uh, find a place in your heart for God's word, that it can take residence. Uh, Jesus uh, said that in, in the beginning of the book of John that the word, the logos, came in the flesh and he came and incarnate in, in the flesh to dwell with us. And then, uh, as I just prayed, he left, but he then gave his spirit to dwell within us and he uh, unified us to the Father, that we're one in spirit with him. And it's a supernatural truth and reality. How are you doing today? How are we feeling today? Well, we hope that uh, this morning uh, God's word can penetrate into those places that you need them, that it can nourish us, refresh us, and uh, speak to our hearts. Well, just uh, as way of introduction, briefly, as I sent a text out to my buddies, a pastor at Calvary Chapel in Santa Rosa, and I said, how are you doing and he said, it's really, really bad, and, and uh, we can't breathe, and there's smoke everywhere, and the fires are still swirling. Uh, this was later this week. And, uh, and so uh, we said, well, we'd like to help. And uh, so um, that church, as well as some other churches, we also uh, got word of um, uh, two covenant churches in the area that have uh, many members that have lost their homes, and, and so we have sent $10,000 this week to those churches in support. Uh, we were one of the first churches to respond as district, Lake Hills, uh, because we can. Because together uh, we have dedicated 10% of all our income to kingdom work outside of this church. And God will bless our efforts in that. And so we're seeing just great fruit from that already in two months, less than two months, as we have given $13,000 in the month of uh, September to hurricane relief. Uh, for every check-in on Facebook uh, for, that you do, as well as the folks right now meeting at the high school at District, uh, all of those dollars for every check-in on Facebook, every dollar will go to Brandon and Alicia, faithful stewards. And so they are now the beneficiaries of both churches combined as they are serving the needs in our community locally uh, for people uh, with, with food and with um, uh, single parent families. Uh, and Brandon, we really love and trust his ministry in our community. So uh, friends, you're, you're making a difference and you're not even... Uh, for Facebook check-ins, you're not even giving anything. Uh, just for the fact that you're, you're checking in. And, and we have a, a, an account that we uh, ultimately is, is from you, from God, from your, from your tithes and offerings. But we are blessing people. And, and God's honoring that. He honors that personally in your personal lives. As you dedicate and commit what I believe uh, should be 10% of your income. To the, to the local church and, and, and then tithes and off, or offerings above and beyond that. And so my family has committed to that and we uh, do not lack. Yes, it gets hard and challenging, sometimes not enough month at the end of the money and, and, then, we, uh, and then we go, what are we gonna do? And God is faithful to provide uh, because he says, test me in this. 
You give me the tithes, the first fruits of your offering. Test me and watch and see how I will not pour out out of the storehouses for you and flood you with blessing. And oftentimes it's not necessarily income or money. It's just the blessing of peace, of knowing you're doing the right thing in God's eyes. And so you're at peace because you know he will provide because he's Jehovah Jireh. It's one of his names in the scripture, the provider that God provides for us. So if you're uh, struggling or dealing with with provision today, uh, take uh, encouragement from those those words. Today we're talking about grace. From Genesis, still in our study in Genesis, and we're kind of moving through Genesis and we're we're playing a little bit of holy hopscotch where we're just picking bits and pieces from the early chapters of Genesis uh, as we feel inspired uh, on particular passages. Hopefully, if you're in a small group, you're going through it a little more, uh, you know, kind of methodologically. Is that, is that a word? Methodologically? Yeah, you're, you're moving through it, hopefully, a little more consistently uh, through your curriculum, through the small group curriculum. Uh, But we're camping out today on Genesis 6. Genesis 6. And so uh, it's apropos that we have the cross with the moving clouds. Uh, Hopefully that's okay. At my old church, we had quite a few mature people there. and, uh, And they mentioned a few times with moving screens, it caused them to have seizures. So hopefully we're okay with that. And it's not gonna cause anyone any, any uh, uh, you know, problem. Well, Genesis 6, uh, as we have Adam and Eve early on that disobey God, take of the fruit, the fall, and everything spirals out of control. And we've, we've, done, we've, we've shared that the last few weeks. Uh, we have Adam and Eve's, their first children, uh, they experience actually murder in their family with Cain and with Abel. And so we see the depravity of humanity and, and how God is always on, the mission, on a mission of redeeming, restoring, rescuing. But humans, we just have a way of messing things up. And so Cain kills Abel and, and then there's uh, more children that come. But what we find is that uh, it says that the inclination of people's hearts were wicked all the time. Can you imagine? Uh, I think some of us can. It's very, uh, very easy for us to see how human selfishness is the primary motivation uh, on this earth when it comes to humanity. And so the Bible doesn't speak really highly of, of, of humanity, but it does have an opportunity. We do have an opportunity to be redeemed and restored and, and the Bible says that in Christ, in God, we can uh, produce what's called good fruit and not bad fruit. But early on, we see uh, bad fruit. And so we look at Genesis 6, if you have your Bibles. Uh, when, when men began to increase in number on the earth, uh, daughters were born to them, the sons of God Sons of God refers to spiritual beings, actually. Saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They married and any of them they chose. And then the, the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with men forever. Man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Verse 4 says, the Nephilim, that means literally the fallen ones, were on earth in those days 
And also afterwards, a very mysterious passage here. Fallen angels, perhaps. And when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were heroes of old, men of renown. But verse 5 says that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of his thoughts of his heart was evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move along the ground, birds of the air, for I am grieved I have made them. But then there's this little passage in verse 8 that says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. Now it doesn't mean that that God showed grace only to Noah exclusively. Yes, eventually a flood wiped out everyone else, but not before God gave them a hundred years to turn from the wickedness and to receive salvation. The planet was deluged, but people had every opportunity to hear the message as they watched Noah build this big barge. The world refused to grab hold of the good news of salvation. They drowned in their sin. And it wasn't that God looked on Noah with grace and everyone else with condemnation. It says God looked at everyone, because he always does, with the eyes of grace and mercy. But it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the question for us today is simply this. What have you found in the eyes of God? When you think of God, when you imagine who God is, what he is like, his character, his nature, what the eyes are the window to the soul. And I realize we don't see God visibly, but you can experience his eyes. The, the Rev- Revelation talks about Jesus having eyes of fire, purity, refining. Do you look at God the Father and see the eyes of favor and grace? Or do you see condemnation? Do you see rejection? Do you see criticism? Noah looked at the eyes of God and found grace and saw grace. There's a story of a time in London, a traffic jam, where C.S. Lewis was arriving at a religious symposium and he was late. And there was a panel comprised of the world's most prestigious, esteemed thinkers. And they began the the symposium without C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. And the question they came to and were discussing was, what is so unique about Christianity? And there was a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Jew, a Taoist, and they discussed the question. And they couldn't really arrive at a conclusion And in the midst of their debate, the the Christian scholar, C.S. Lewis, walked in late to the meeting. And Dr. Lewis, the moderator, asked him, tell us what is unique about Christianity. And Lewis said, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. You see, he was right. There's no other religion or philosophy that proves and provides unmerited, unearned favor from God. That's what grace is. Think of grace, G-R-A-C-E, as an acronym. 
grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. You see, the reason he can extend unmerited, unearned favor on you and I is because Jesus paid the price. It was at his expense that now you are free. It was because Jesus paved the way and paid for the sins so that you and I could receive grace. I think one of the biggest things that Christians struggle with, uh, with God and in their relationships, is forgiveness. It's lack of forgiveness, but it starts with the inability to receive forgiveness for yourself from God and to see that he's a forgiving and loving God, unending as he continues to pour out his grace upon us. And yet we oftentimes, in subtle ways, not so subtle ways, we reject it. We refuse it. We continue to try to prove to God that we're worthy of his grace or that we need to earn his love and his favor. And Noah, when he looked at the eyes of God, he found grace in the eyes of God. What about, what about you? So, we find in this passage that Noah found grace. There's another passage actually in Leviticus of all places. You know, one of our favorite books in the Bible, Leviticus, that describes, and I'm going to go through a little bit of a, what's called typology here, of Leviticus chapter 14, where we see grace as well. Because if you pay attention through the Old Testament and obviously into the New you will see God's grace and the thumbprint of even Jesus himself. When the two guys that were despondent and depressed after Jesus was killed walked along that Emmaus road and Jesus appeared to them, but he didn't identify himself to them, he said, hey boys, why are you so down? Why are you so depressed? And they said, well, we thought Jesus was the Messiah and our promised Savior and it turned out that he was just killed and crucified. And, and then it says, Jesus, as he walked along the road, talked to him about all the prophets and all the Old Testament scriptures. And it says, and he told them about himself in those passages. You see, we find Jesus uh, throughout and shadows, foreshadows of Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Savior throughout the Old Testament if we devote ourselves to any kind of serious study. And in Leviticus 14, we see this, and I just want to point this out to you from this little passage. It says, The Lord said to Moses, These are the regulations for the diseased person, Leviticus 14, 1 and 2, at the time of his ceremonial cleansing. So there was a whole ritual of cleansing that needed to happen for someone who had a disease. And it says, when he is brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp, take them outside so that others wouldn't be infected and there wouldn't be anyone who got unclean, and examine him. Verse 3 says, if the person had been healed of their infectious skin disease... The priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the one to be cleansed. Then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot, 
And then he's then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. Seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the infectious disease and pronounce him clean. Then he is to release the live bird into the open field. Now what is all of this about? Well, just like every other ritual uh, and every other temple uh, sacrifice, all the system, it was, it was there to foreshadow the coming of Jesus himself. There was a whole procedure for taking an unblemished lamb and to sacrifice the lamb for the sins of the people. That was a foreshadowing of the, the perfect lamb, the great lamb, Jesus Christ, to come and be sacrificed on our behalf. But on, in this particular uh, passage, as we see oftentimes in the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed and in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed we see that this is the law, what's called the law of the leper, a diseased person. This law, this, this experience was never utilized throughout all of the Old Testament until Jesus came, do you remember? And, and, and uh, 10 lepers came and, and Jesus healed the lepers. And then one came back to thank him and he, and he said, go to the priest and show the priest that you are healed. And, and Jesus was actually obeying this law, the law of the leper. So it, would ne it was never utilized, never practiced. No one had ever seen a leper healed until Jesus came on the scene. So he fulfilled this law. But we see that leprosy and disease all through the scriptures represents sin. It represents sin. It's decaying. What leprosy did is it, it basically numbed your uh, extremities and it was you would end up either burning yourself or cutting yourself and there wasn't a healing uh, component or factor that could come into place and so that's why there was so much disfigurement from leprosy and leprosy is a form of sin because you see when we participate in things that are dishonoring to God it's like we are uh, numbing our hearts and we becoming as the Bible describes hard-hearted the Bible says the heart can also be seared it can be deadened. And that's what leprosy was a rep what represented in the, in the scriptures. It represented sin. Then we see uh, the, the command to get the cedar wood. What does the cedar wood speak of? It speaks of the cross. And so as we see these pictures, and then there was scarlet yarn. What's scarlet? It's red. It's crimson. It represents the blood of Christ. The dye used to color yarn because it wasn't naturally this color, it was extracted from a tola worm, and, and then and the dye would come out of the, this worm, and it would, it would basically, uh, it would take the yarn, and the yarn would be made crimson or red. And so we see the scarlet yarn represented the scarlet. Jesus, the Bible says that though your sins be like scarlet, he has washed them white as snow. So we see leprosy representing sin. Cedar wood speaks of the cross. Scarlet yarn was to be used. What about hyssop? Does that remind you of anything? As you think about where you see hyssop elsewhere in the, in the Bible? A bough of hyssop plant with vinegar myrrh was offered to Christ during the crucifixion, and he refused it. Why? Because it numbs the pain. 
It's an antiseptic, and, it's, and, it, and it actually is a, it functions as a, as a, um, a, 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 a something to actually numb the pain. I'm trying to think of the word. Anesthetic, thank you. Anesthetics, thank you, Steve. Anesthetic to numb the pain. And he refused it. He experienced the fullness of the pain of the cross. And he didn't want it to be numbed. And he, and he didn't want it to be anesthetized because he wanted to experience that on your behalf. So we see the leprosy, the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, the hyssop. And then it says in this law of the leper, these short verses in Leviticus, to take a clay pot of fresh water. What's the clay pot represent? You and I are the clay. And the Bible describes him as the potter. And, and it says to take the clay pot, the earthen vessel, and it speaks of the body. Our bodies are earthen vessels. And the fresh water that is to be used is, speaks of the spirit. The spirit represents the water, the living water. Jesus said, come to me and, and out of you will flow in, out of your innermost being living water. The spirit represents the oil and the water of cleansing, of purifying. And so we see this picture in the Old Testament of grace. This is when Noah looked into the eyes of the Lord. He saw grace. It was like he saw, he understood not fully, but in a shadow, he understood that God wanted to give forgiveness. And the future of all of mankind and all of men and women, God's plan was redemptive in nature, was to give grace and to give forgiveness to you and I. And Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he bled. And just like the scarlet red, the blood, the blood came from Jesus. He bled in seven places, actually, on the cross. The crown of thorns around his head that pierced his brow. And many of us, we have had thoughts in our heads that have not been pure, not been kind. And we haven't. Uh, thought of people. Jesus said that even if you have a thought of anger and destruction towards your brother or your sister, it's the same as actually doing the act of murdering. And because of our thoughts and because of human sickness, we're filled in our thoughts. And the Bible says in Noah's day, thoughts of evil, inclination all the time. Yet when Jesus went to the cross, his head was pierced for your thoughts and for my thoughts. What about his hands, where the blood came from his hands, driven the nails through his wrists? What about your hands? Perhaps your hands have touched things or uh, done things that you shouldn't have done. Or maybe you say, I can handle it myself with your hands, and yet your life, as you've tried to design it for yourself and, and, and put it all together with your own hands, it's failed. And that's why Jesus, his hands were nailed to the cross on your behalf. And his feet, the spike was driven through his feet as he was pinned there on the cross. And what about your feet? Where have you gone perhaps in disobedience or walking away from God? And you've gone places that you shouldn't have gone. Your feet have taken you there. Maybe some of you are saying, I'm just defeated. I cannot make this life work for myself. And, and because of the brokenness of our own feet and because of the ways that we haven't 
spent time pursuing God and pursuing him with vigor and a sense of urgency, Jesus said, my feet were driven, a nail driven through on your behalf. I've got you covered head to toe, he says, because of the cross. And his back was whipped, the third place. And, and perhaps you've at times turned your back on God and, and, and you haven't really pursued him. And yet he says, I've got you covered because my back was torn open on your behalf. And that sin uh, of walking away from him and, and not obeying him, that's been covered. This is called grace, friends. It's grace. It's his pursuing you uh, with a sense of love. It doesn't matter how you, what you've done or how long you've been gone. You're forgiven. And then what about his heart? It says they pierced his heart. He was already dead, but the, the soldier took the sword and pierced it into his heart and that's the deepest part of you and I is our heart. It, out of it springs all the things of life. And maybe your heart hasn't been in the right place. Well, God was pierced on your behalf. That's grace. I've got you covered down to the depths of your being, inside and out. My whole body was given for you so that your heart could be pure, so your feet could walk towards kingdom things. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and these other things that you've been pursuing and sometimes wasting your time with, those will fall into place. Pursue the kingdom first and, and walk towards him and use your hands and use your feet to serve Jesus. He will give you the power to do so. He said, the spear was thrust into my heart on your behalf and maybe your heart hasn't been in the right place, but he wants to renew you through his grace and through his love. There's an old hymn. It says, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. A father uh, and his eight-year-old son were driving in a country, into the country, and there was a bumblebee that flew into the car. And the boy was extremely frightened because, you see, he was really allergic to bees and bee stings and and he could possibly even get deathly ill and die if he was stung. And so the boy started panicking, and his dad reached out and grabbed the bumblebee. And the boy was relieved, but then the dad opened his hand again, and the bee started buzzing around the car. And the, and the son said, Dad, the bee is loose again. But then the father reassured him and said, Son, don't worry, you're in no danger. What do you mean, said the boy, look. Here, son. And the father opened his hand, and there was in the palm of the dad's hand the stinger of the bumblebee. I took the stinger, son. It can't hurt you anymore. And he might buzz around, but he's not going to hurt you. And you see, that's what your father and my father and Jesus did for you and I. He took the stinger. He took the sting. There's a verse in, that Paul uh, declares in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, the sting is no longer because Jesus took the sting. That's called grace. Do you look at Jesus? Do you look at the Father? Do you see his eyes of grace? What do you see? I hope that today as you move from here and as you spend time this week, 
you can see his grace for you and extend his grace to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this is the truth that we all need to come back to over and over again. That even if everyone around us is criticizing you and mocking you and belittling you and saying that you don't exist, that we choose to look at your eyes and and see that your eyes have grace. Not only for us, but grace for those around us who even today are still mocking you, spitting on you, abusing you, because they don't recognize the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ. You did everything perfectly. You did everything well. And yet they took your life that day. And Father, I know that you say that no one took your life. You gave it of your own accord because you saw our need to be clean. You saw our need for forgiveness and grace. I pray that we, like Noah, would look into your eyes and see the grace of God, that we might understand the deep love and power that it has to transform our lives. Father, bless these folks now. Give them increased favor. Give them increased grace. In the name of Jesus, amen.